the ninth commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now we know this commandment's not a big deal, and so we'll try to hurry and get through it. And I hope you realize that I am absolutely kidding. It's a really big deal. The story of fallen humanity begins with these crafty words. Did God really say? I mean, did, did he really say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And those deceitful words gave birth to an entire race of people who cannot not lie. And now when, when God, who cannot lie, when God looks down from heaven on the people that he made in his own image, when he looks down, this is his assessment of the human race. They are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom, like the venom of a serpent. And at the end of the Bible, the story of fallen humanity ends like this. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. All liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. Lying and deceit is a big deal. Over 3,000 years ago, when God redeemed a people out of Egypt, this was number 9 out of 10. This is number 9 of the words that God thundered at Mount Sinai. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the ninth commandment is probably one of the commandments we think about the least and break the most. So let's not skip it. Let's not take it lightly because this is a big deal from God. This is literally the word of truth through the spirit of truth from the God of truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray for God's help. Father in heaven, God, forgive us for this picture that you see when you survey the human heart, when you survey the landscape of what you've made, that we have lied again and again and again from birth. God, have mercy on us. You are the God of truth. I pray, God, that you would send out your light that you would send out the spirit of, the, of truth and that you would convict liars here today and you would save liars here today and you would sanctify liars here today and you would change us into truth tellers. People who love the truth. God, do this work. This is a supernatural work from heaven and we ask for it Lord we ask for your mercy look down with pity on your people and help us to understand your word and to not just hear it Lord but to do it to be doers of your word and reflect your perfect character in this dark world God help us Lord help me Lord
In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the basic outline. In case you didn't get a handout, there's some back in the foyer. Four parts. We're going to look at sort of an explanation of the commandment. Then we're going to look at how serious it is, the gravity of the commandment. Then we're going to look at applications of the ninth commandment, both positively and negatively. How do we break it? How do we keep it? And then last, we're going to see, man, there's good news here. There's, there's good news even here in this commandment that how this points to Christ, how this commandment actually points to the gospel and how we should respond. So first, let's, let's, explain, let's explain the commandment. Verse 20, Deuteronomy 5.20, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Kind of like the other commandments, very simple verse. Digging into it, it's a pretty accurate translation. It literally means do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't bear false witness is what it's saying. Don't give false testimony. So what does that mean? And if you, if you think it sounds sort of legalistic or judicial, you're right. Because it specifically means... Don't testify falsely against your neighbor in a legal proceeding. Now, if you thought to yourself, man, whew, good, I hadn't done that. I ain't even in the court. Then you're wrong. That would be like saying, I ain't, kill, I ain't killed nobody. Therefore, I haven't broken the sixth commandment. In case you haven't noticed that many of the Ten Commandments actually articulate the most severe case specifically with the intention of including all other forms of the sins generally. For example, anger, we know, is murder in the heart, but actually killing somebody is even worse. We know that looking with lust is adultery in the heart, but sleeping with another man's wife is actually worse. Anything you put ahead of God is idolatry, but man, going out and making a golden calf and bowing down and calling it Yahweh is worse. Coveting your neighbor's car is sin. Carjacking's worse. And in this case, lying is a grievous sin, but what's worse? Lying in a courtroom when a man's life hangs in the balance. And so this commandment specifically points to that as the worst case scenario of sort of an umbrella of all the different sins contemplated here. Don't be a lying witness. Don't commit perjury. Now think about how important this was back in biblical days. How important was witness integrity? How important would it be to have an honest judge? Because think about how else is innocence and guilt going to be decided before there were all these paper trails, security camera footage, fingerprints, DNA evidence. How, how did they decide between guilt and innocence? Witnesses. And who decided this case? Like, but before this massive judicial system that we have with all these checks and balances and these, all this oversight, who decided the case? Local leaders there at the city gate like Boaz, or, or circuit judges like Samuel who rode around and heard these cases and moved to the next town, or kings like Solomon, or leaders like Moses. How important was it for them to have integrity, for them to be honest. How important was witness honesty? What happens when you get a lying witness? What happens when you get a crooked judge? Disaster. Injustice. Innocent death, even. This is how Jesus was convicted, quote-unquote. False witnesses. Crooked leaders. 
and an innocent man is executed. Praise God. Don't bear false witness, but it means more generally. It means don't lie. It means don't deceive. Don't be deceitful. There are other places in Scripture where it sort of does a look back on the Ten Commandments, echoes uh, the Ten Commandments, and sometimes it actually replaces false witnessing with lying. In Exodus, the same commandment has a different word for false witness. It means, or has a little bit more of a lean towards lying in general and deception. When Jesus met Nathaniel, he called him a good Israelite. Obviously somebody that respects the law. He's a good Israelite. How did he define what that is? He says, look, behold, a Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. That's a good general definition of the ninth commandment. No deceit. No deceit. And so... Commandment means do not harm your neighbor through lies or deceit. Do not harm your neighbor. I added the word harm there because I want to point out a pattern that you see in the Ten Commandments. We know every commandment is actually, when you get right down to it, it's a matter of the heart, but yet the second table of the law has this progression That it moves from deed to word to thought. Forbidding harm to our neighbor in deeds or actions, in words, and then ultimately in thoughts. So 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 think about that. Do not murder or commit adultery or steal. Those are deeds. Do not bear false witness. Those words do not covet. Do not think about taking his stuff, which is the root of all of it by the way. So, in other words, another way to explain the ninth commandment is this, do not harm your neighbor through words. Who's my neighbor? Did that pop anybody's head? I hope not. I bet it did, though. Don't be like the nitpicking lawyer who asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? After Jesus says, you must love your neighbor as yourself if you ask that you're sort of missing the point kind of like he did but I will say this there is a specific application here in the use of the word neighbor again a specific application not a broader one the commandment here applies specifically and especially to fellow members of the covenant community First and foremost, God's law is meant to govern God's people. This is how, this is how God's people are supposed to relate to one another. Truthfully, truthfully, all the time, in every context. So who is my neighbor? If you're under the old covenant, your neighbor is your fellow Israelite. Well, I'm not under the old covenant. What about the new covenant? Your brother and sister in Christ. Truth and faithfulness is a mark of genuine conversion. This is a mark of being like Jesus, who is the faithful witness. This is a mark of being a born-again child of the God of truth. The New Testament connects all these things. Paul says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood. You see the connection there of being born again in the likeness of your creator and then putting away falsehood, the God of truth now. You're a child of his. Put away falsehood and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of one another. Speaking to the church. 
Our neighbor is part of the same body, the body of Christ who has put away falsehood. We are to speak truth to one another. So this commandment speaks especially, not only, but especially to the body of Christ, to the church. But obviously it applies to all humanity. So who is my neighbor? Your your fellow man. How did Jesus answer the Jewish lawyer when he said, who is my neighbor? He did not limit it to the covenant community. He, He did not say, well, your fellow Israelite, of course. He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, that group group of people that the Jews actually despised. So, generally speaking, your neighborhood is earth. And your neighbor is your fellow man, even your enemy. And I want you to think about that. Why, Why would it be any different? Why would the scope of this command be less than the scope of the command not to murder? Not to steal, not to commit adultery. Same scope, universal. So, summary. Do not lie. Here's the commandment. Do not lie or be deceitful to anybody. And I would argue, the closer the relation, the more careful you should be. In other words, especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ especially to your spouse, especially to your family, especially to your co-workers. Guard the truth about your neighbor. Guard their reputation. Guard your neighbor's reputation like you guard God's reputation. Now why do I say that? Because there's an intentional parallel between the third commandment and the ninth commandment. Remember how Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And he sort of expressed the entirety of the law in two commandments. The third commandment is about what? Guarding the name of God. The ninth commandment is about what? Guarding the name of your neighbor. Do not bear false witness about your neighbor. Do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Actually, the same word. Don't take the name of the Lord your God, name, his name in vain, in vain false ways, in evil ways, same with your neighbor. Now, why is it here? Like, what, what, is, what is the motivation for the ninth commandment? And i got two categories. First, the ninth commandment is meant to glorify God through His image-bearing people think about what this commandment tells us about God God and truth are synonymous God is true God's word is true he is the God of truth he cannot lie God does not and cannot bear false Witness. Instead, he is abounding in the opposite. He is abounding in steadfast love and truth. Steadfast love and faithfulness to what he says. Faithfulness to his promises. Faithfulness to his people. He is true. The ninth commandment reflects who God is. And God's children should reflect their father. And don't miss this. Children reflect their father. We'll get to that in a minute. So the ninth commandment declares and demands that we be a people of truth for his glory. The second motive behind this commandment is the good of humanity. This is a good commandment. This is really Good. Imagine if if nobody was honest. This is for the good of humanity. You know why? Because lies hurt people. Lies hurt people. James 3 says the human tongue is deadly. He says this is a fire starter. It's a fire starter. The tongue itself is a world of unrighteousness. It's restless evil. It's full of 
poison. It hurts people. Proverbs 25 says, A man who bears false witness, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club. He's like a sword. He's like a sharp arrow. Why? Because lies destroy. Lies hurt. Lies ruin marriages. Lies destroy reputations. And lies even send innocent men to the gallows. And so the ninth commandment is for God's glory and for our good. It's amazing how a lot of things work back to that. God is so good. That's God's motive for the ninth commandment. What's our motive for breaking it? Think about that. Why do we break the ninth commandment? Why do we lie? Why, why do we deceive? Why do we bear false witness? And the answer is found in that little four-letter word, S-E-L-F, self. Why do we lie? Because of ourselves. We lie and we deceive and we often harm others to benefit ourselves. We lie for self-preservation. We lie for self-gratification. We lie for self-justification. We lie for self-glorification. We lie for me. God does not take that lightly, and neither should we. Now, second point, how serious is all this? How serious is the ninth commandment? Well, for starters, it's, it's one of ten. It's one of the ten. If you think the ten are important, then one of them's got to be important. I said earlier, the ninth commandment is probably one of the commandments we think about the least but break the most. And I said that because we downplay lying. We just do. It's such a part of our culture, lying. It's part of our economy. It makes our economy go around, lying. And we're like frogs in hot water. We're so used to lies and deceit, we can't feel it. We define, we redefine what God calls an abomination. We don't tell lies, we just tell little fibs or tall tales or we stretch the truth or just a little white lie or maybe I'm getting into a gray area. God calls it an abomination. We got to remember this is how God sees it. Lying's not little, it's not down here in the Bottom of the barrel of, of sins, it's up here on the top. It's a top-tier sin. Over and over again, you see it listed side by side with some of those horrific sins that make us cringe. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. He says, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly. It's laid down for the sinners. It's laid down for the unholy. It's laid down for the profane. You know who that is, right? That's the ones who, the people who strike their mothers and fathers. Those are the people who murder. Those are the people who are sexually immoral. Those are the people who practice homosexuality. Those are the people who enslave people. Those are the people who lie. Right there. Telling a little white lies right up there with murder, homosexuality, and slavery. And guess where it comes from? Right here. Jesus says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Listen, he puts, he puts it right there again with those top tier sins. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder comes out of the heart. Adultery comes out of the heart. Sexual immorality comes out of the heart. Stealing comes out of the heart. Lying does too. False witness and slander. He's got it. He got two of them in there. It's a top tier sin. And guess what? It is universal. It is universal. God's law 
calls for two or three witnesses in every case. Why? Why do you need two or three witnesses? You may need more. You may need ten. This is kind wisdom from God because God knows that every man is a liar. Now that should not be a comfort to us. Even though strangely it is sometimes. Man, we're all liars. Don't, don't find comfort in that. Instead, we should, we should feel the weight. We should feel the weight of mankind's in, entire ruin. We should feel the weight of this, in, this inescapable slavery to deceit. Inescapable slavery to deceit that's in every unregenerate heart. Jeremiah says what? The heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things. And is desperately, the heart is desperately sick. Why? Because it's so deceitful. Who can understand it? It's so deceitful, I don't even get it. I don't even get it. You know people who will go out of their way to lie? They'd rather lie than tell the truth when the truth is right there, convenient. Like you don't even understand it. Who taught your kids to lie? Who taught them to lie? You didn't have to. Nobody has to teach them to lie. No, what we got to do is we got to teach them the ninth commandment to try to restrain some of that lying. Why do we sin? We're born sinners. Why do we lie? We're born liars. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. And here's, here's what's worse. Not only do we love to lie by nature, we love to hear lies. We love to hear them. We love them. We really do. Proverbs 18 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. Man, tell me a secret. We, we call it juicy gossip. The Bible says it's like, Delicious morsels. It goes down easy. We like it. Just think about how true that is. We, 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 like, we, get, we call it juicy gossip and we love it. The tabloid news makes a fortune out of our love of false witnesses. Rumor and slander and innuendo, man, it travels at the speed of light. Especially with social media. And we're the ones clicking We're the ones reposting. It all comes from the heart. But there's a greater source upstream, so to speak. Because lying is of the devil. Man, get that. Like, figure out where you are in this whole spectrum and then realize this, that that lying is of the devil. Like, that needs to land on you now. That needs to land on you next time you... Catch yourself lying. Man, that's of the devil. Man, that's of the devil. Jesus calls the devil what? The father of lies. The father of lies. And he's in that context in John 8, he's basically calling the Pharisees children of the devil. Why? Because of all their lies and because of their opposition to the truth. The devil is the father of lies and a liar from the beginning. Remember his first words? I just talked about them. His first words recorded in Scripture were a lie. And it was actually a lie that implied that God was a liar, but he didn't really say it that way. He presented, it, he presented his lie deceitfully. Think about that. This is why the devil's called the deceiver, the slanderer, the accuser. And so who will we follow? This is what the ninth commandment is about. Who are we going to follow? The God of truth who cannot lie or the father of lies, that crafty serpent? Worse, building a case here about the gravity of the ninth commandment. Worse, it's an abomination to God. 
Lying is an abomination to God. That little white lie is an abomination to God. Lying is one of God's top tier sins that he hates. And he says it explicitly. Listen, Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Seven abominable sins that God hates, it says. And I don't know if you caught this, but two, even three of those sevens are connected to lying. Three out of seven. God hates a lying tongue, God hates a false witness, and God hates one who sows discord among brothers. How does that happen normally? Lying, deceit. Man, we don't need to separate the lie from the liar either. God hates the lie, and God hates the liar. But he loves the truth teller. Proverbs 12 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. God hates liars and he is going to punish them according to this commandment. A false witness will not go unpunished, God says. He who breathes out lies will not escape, God says. You destroy those who speak Lies, God says. To put it as bluntly as God's word puts it, unforgiven liars will burn in hell forever. This is what God says. Unforgiven liars will burn in hell forever. I've already read this. This is how the story ends. You know, all those wicked people that we always, all them murderers, man, all them sexually immoral people, all those people that commit adultery and, and murder and homosexuals and all them. And it says also, all liars, their portion is in the lake of fire. All liars, every one of them, their portion is there. Their portion is in the lake of fire. Let's remember this. Next time we're tempted to stretch the truth. The ninth commandment is just as serious as the rest. So, how do we obey it? What's the remedy? Right? How do we obey it? First, remember this. Commandment keeping always has two sides. It has a positive and it has a negative. It has an obligation something you got to do, and it's got a prohibition, something you're forbidden from doing. So, like, don't murder also means you need to love and protect life. Don't commit adultery also means you need to love marriage and be faithful in it. Don't steal means you also need to be generous and give. Don't bear false witness means you also should love and defend and seek and tell the truth. So how do we break the ninth commandment? How do we keep it? In other words, how do we fully obey God here? And I got four big categories. Number one, be a truth teller. Be a truth teller. Avoid lying and deceit of every kind. That's a quote from the Heidelberg Catechism. Avoid lying deceit of every kind. We'd be here all day if I tried to expound what of every kind it is because the heart is deceitful above all things. 
Just think about all the different ways that we could explicitly break the ninth commandment. What's he saying? He said, don't lie. Don't lie about somebody else. Don't lie about yourself. Don't lie about the situation. Don't speak in a way that unnecessarily or maliciously harms another person. Don't speak in such a way that oversells yourself or exaggerates the circumstances. Don't do or say anything with an aim to deceive somebody or even an aim to hide the truth. Don't twist somebody else's words. Don't gossip. You you really don't have to repeat everything you hear. You really don't. Especially the juicy stuff. Don't make empty, empty promises. Beware of crossing that line in very subtle ways like embellishing or even holding your tongue in a way that sort of insinuates, well, I'd tell you, but that's a lie. That's deceit. You just harmed your neighbor. You didn't say anything. Don't present a biased presentation of most but not all the facts and hold one back. Framing the truth for yourself. Remember, remember Ananias and Sapphira? They told the truth. Not the whole truth. And why? To make themselves look good. To make themselves look better. And guess what? God killed them on the spot. And he said, Hey, where's this? Listen, listen to where this lie came from. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to man, but to God. Avoid lying and deceit of every kind and tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Be a truth teller. New Testament explicitly says, don't lie to one another. You know how some people go out of their way to tell a lie, like I said a little while ago? Be the opposite. Go out of your way. Bend over backwards to always clearly be truthful. Be clearly truthful. You ever thought about where that courtroom oath comes from? You swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? There's a lot in that. It comes from comes from the Bible, comes from this commandment, ultimately. Tell the whole truth. Don't hold something back, man. Think about how convenient it is sometimes, convenient but deceitful, when we tell the truth, almost all of it. We leave out that one little fact that might hinder our narrative or hinder our aim. God's people tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In other words, we don't, we don't got a bunch of truth and we mix in a little lie. We don't embellish or frame the truth for our narrative. We don't water it down. We speak the truth in love. We focus on objectivity. Focus on the objective. Focus on the true. We say what we're going to do and we do what we're going to say. Brothers, listen, brothers, I'm talking to myself. Be a man of truth. Be a man of integrity. Sisters, be a woman of truth. Be a faithful witness. This is what we're called to. Be a faithful witness. Be a truth teller. Number two, be a truth defender. Be a truth defender. We need to champion truth. Not be neutral here. We need to champion truth. And we need to stop lies in our tracks. We need to not let lies propagate. And we certainly don't need to be the means for them to propagate. We need to be the the plumb line for crooked doctrine. The thing that straightens it back up. We need to be the autocorrect for error. We we need to be the, the pause button for unverified information. And we need to be the axe for misinformation. And by the way, I'm not being political when I say these things. I know that you hear a lot about that out there. Be the pause button for unverified information. Be the axe for misinformation. Be the fire extinguisher for gossip. Be the death nail for slander. It stops here. Your slander stops here. That gossip stops here. When you recognize gossip, don't 
just not spread it, rebuke it. When you hear slander, refute it. When you see some juicy, fascinated story on the internet, don't repost it, verify it. And when you're confronted, and this is happening over and over, more and more, and when you are confronted with society's latest lie of the month, don't you stand for it. We stand for truth. We defend the truth, especially, especially, especially when it comes to God's word and God's people. We are truth defenders. And we are truth seekers. Number three, truth seekers. Man, that's who we are by definition. Christians, by definition, are truth seekers. We are saved, how? By coming to a knowledge of the truth. Every day we read our Bibles and we are growing in God's truth. Sanctify them in your truth. What I mean here, though, is that sometimes we, we've got to get to the bottom of something. Sometimes we need to get our hands dirty and we're going to have to dig to uncover the truth. If it's something that can harm our neighbor, especially our brother and sister in Christ, we need to uncover the truth. If it sounds like false doctrine or error, we need to seek the truth. We need to investigate and expose the truth. If it's unverified information, we don't need to just assume it's true. We need to dig. We need to verify that it's true. If it's an accusation, if it's an innuendo, we don't need to presume guilt. We need to get to the bottom of it. We don't need to be like Jesus' disciples that looked at the blind man who they did not know and said, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Don't be like that. Don't presume guilt. Be the opposite. Presume innocence and discover truth. What a novel idea. Presume innocence and dig and discover the truth. Not because most people are innocent. The opposite. We, we need to do that because there's nobody good. All men are liars. We presume innocence not because most accused people are innocent, but because malicious witnesses exist. And God, in His wisdom, has given us good instructions on this judicial due process that basically is the foundation for our own justice system. And it applies far beyond the courtroom. There's a whole section coming up in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 19. I'm just going to give you a couple of highlights. First of all, this. Every single charge must be established. And not established on the testimony of a single witness, but on multiple witnesses who agree on the facts. Because that text acknowledges the very real threat, the very serious threat about false or even malicious witnesses. And the people that are deciding the case, guess what they're called to do? Literally, inquire diligently. Dig it out. Inquire diligently to see if the witnesses are telling the truth or not. And if it is discovered that the witness is malicious, they get the penalty instead. So all will fear. Be a truth seeker. Uphold this standard. We, 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 We talk about it in this country, but it's biblical. Presumed innocent until proven guilty the burden of proof is on the accuser not the accused inquire diligently the text says we need to appreciate this we need to defend this we need to promote this we need to execute and utilize this biblical justice and this biblical due process you know why because believe it or not there are people who actually break the ninth commandment Guess what? The New Testament has a very specific application of this for the church. 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20 says this. 
do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, talking about the pastor, rebuke them. Rebuke them in the presence of everybody so that everybody may stand in fear, it says. This is instruction for the congregation of a local church according to the same principle connected directly to the ninth commandment about truth and false witnesses. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now what is that saying? Here's what it's saying. It says presume that your pastor is innocent until proven guilty. And like Deuteronomy says, a single witness shall not suffice, end quote. In other words, when you hear a charge against your pastor, you got some work to do. That's what, that's what you got. You got some work to do. And your first job is to not receive it without the evidence of two or three witnesses. So don't presume guilt. You get to the bottom of it. If there's false witnesses, once this investigation, once this inquiring diligently has taken place, if there are false witnesses, rebuke them. If the pastor is guilty, rebuke him. Matter of fact, it says rebuke him in the presence of all. Now think about, why is that command in the Bible? Why, why is God giving that command to the church? Right? And I want you to think about that. I want you to realize why that's there. It's because pastors so often find themselves at the forefront of very difficult situations. Getting in there and resolving conflicts getting in there and confronting sin, getting in there and correcting errors, getting in there and giving hard counsel. And guess what? People get their feelings hurt, people get mad, and people bear false witness. It's part of the job. It's part of the, it comes with the territory. But Christians have a responsibility to presume innocence and seek the truth. Defend your pastors just like you would defend your brothers, defend your sisters, defend the accused, not blindly, objective. Get to the bottom of it. And whoever's guilty, let the axe fall. Seek the truth. Defend the truth. Tell the truth. Why? Because God said so. And because we love truth. God loves truth. We should love truth. So the fourth Reason here is that we, we need to be, fourth application, we need to be a truth lover. And man, this is what it boils down to. Do we love gossip more than we love truth? Do we love accusations more than we do uh, acquittals? Do, what do we love most? Do we love the truth? Where's your heart? Jesus says, out of our hearts, our lips lie. Well, guess what? The opposite happens when you're changed. The opposite happens. We are liars by birth but truth lovers by rebirth. This is the heart of God. And this is the heart that God commands, that we speak truth in our heart and we don't slander with our tongue. And brothers and sisters, this is a tall order. <laughs> in case you hadn't realized it by now, this is a tall order. We are called to be faithful witnesses and we have all fallen so short. And if it were not for God's grace, guess what? Our portion would be in the lake of fire. But here's the good news. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I, I hope you're familiar with that text in Romans 8. But I want you to think about how that applies to the ninth commandment. God has done. What the 
law weakened by the flesh could not do. Could not do. I hope there's nobody here that thinks they've kept the ninth commandment. God forbid there be anybody here who thinks they've kept this commandment. As a matter of fact, I hope everybody here realizes that you have absolutely shredded, shredded the ninth commandment. Your entire life. The Bible is right in the way it describes us. We are natural born ninth commandment breakers. But God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. What did he do? He sent his only begotten son to be a faithful witness in our place. To do what we could not do. Jesus is the faithful witness. Man, I love that title. The Bible ascribes many titles to Jesus. And there's no greater concentration in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 19, John sees Jesus sitting on a white horse. His eyes are flames of fire. His, his head is full of crowns. And he's, he's wearing a robe dipped in blood. And he bears many names in that paragraph. It says he is the Word of God. He is called the King of Kings. He is called the Lord of Lords. And he is called Faithful and true. And the book of Revelation starts with this description. The faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. And I want you to think about, maybe you have never given a thought for this, I want you to think about how much that title exalts the man Christ Jesus above all humanity. This humanity, that this world, this field of this endless field of false witnesses and he is the faithful witness the only one the one and only and he did it for us because we failed so miserably he's the faithful witness for us he is the ultimate truth teller never did anyone so perfectly keep the ninth commandment? He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. You know why there was no deceit found in his mouth? Because there was no deceit found in his heart. None. He, Jesus never had a deceitful thought. Not one. He never spoke an untruthful word. Not one. One, he never twisted anybody's words. He never participated in gossip. He never broke a promise or failed to keep a vow. He never embellished things for his own gain. He never slandered to hurt his enemy's reputation. He is the faithful witness. He came to do what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And he did it. Flawlessly. He kept the ninth commandment flawlessly for the very reason that we broke it. And that we might have his righteousness. That we might stand before God and say, faithful witness right here. Liar turned into truth teller. Jesus is a faithful witness to God. He bore witness to the, the character of God. He is God in the flesh. The fullness of deity dwelling bodily. He bore witness to God's righteousness. This is, why, this is why he came. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. How is it revealed? It's revealed in the cross of Christ. Jesus is a faithful witness to the righteousness of God. Do you remember in Exodus 34 how God declared his name before Moses? How he declares those two things that seem to have no logical resolution? On the one hand, God says he's merciful and gracious and forgiving. But on the other hand, he says, I will by no means clear the guilty. How can both of those things be true? How can they both be true? Is God bearing false witness about himself? How can he forgive and yet not clear the guilty? Jesus shows us how. The life and death of Jesus bears witness faithfully that God can indeed be just and be the justifier of the wicked. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans 3. That God sent forth his son to be a propitiation, to be received by faith. But it was to show something. Jesus' propitiation was meant to show something, to bear witness to something. 
that God is both just and justifier, that he can forgive and not clear the guilty. Jesus is that faithful witness, and he's a faithful witness to God's forgiveness. How can we be forgiven? Jesus shows the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's opened up a new way. He is the only way to forgiveness. And everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. Last night in bed, I was thinking about this commandment. And it's verse from Psalm 130 that I quote a lot, popped in my head again. Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? If you should mark iniquities, who could stand? In the book of Revelation, right before God throws all liars into the lake of fire, it says the books were opened. It says the books were opened and everybody was judged according to what they've done. And I got to thinking, man, how many times have I lied? I really started adding them up. How many times have I lied? As a kid, how many times did I lie to my parents? Growing up, how many times did I lie to my friends? How many times have I lied to my spouse? How many times have I dishonest in business? How many times have I fudged my taxes? How many times did I mislead investors? How many times have I worn a hypocrite's hat, the hypocrite's mask? How many times did I embellish stories about myself? How many times did I spread rumors or enjoy some juicy gossip? How many times did I lie to myself? And how many times did I even lie to God? Straight to his face. And I realized I couldn't even remember a tenth of it, but God's got it all written in a book somewhere. Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? If you add it all up, the bottom line is this. I am a liar, and you are a liar. And the bad news is God does indeed mark iniquities, and there is a lake of fire for ninth commandment breakers. But here's the good news, and if you're just now waking up, and you hadn't heard a single thing in this sermon, please hear this. Jesus saves liars. I heard some former liars, amen, right there. Jesus saves liars. And I'm one of them. There's hopefully a couple hundred in here. Jesus saved liars. Man, if God should count up our lives, who could stand? But with Christ there is forgiveness. With Christ there is forgiveness. Just like Jesus saves idolaters, murderers, and adulterers, he saves liars. Every lie we've told, every rumor we spread, every reputation we tarnished, every promise we broke, every falsehood we entertained was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. The faithful witness bore our sins in his body on that tree. Jesus saves liars, and he does more than pardon he actually turns children of the devil into children of God. No more. No more is the father of lies your father, but the God of truth becomes your father in heaven. Jesus actually frees you from the tyranny of that deceitful heart. He frees you from that, and he gives you a heart that loves the truth. God, Jesus does more than save liars. Jesus turns liars into truth tellers. He turns false witnesses in the lovers of the truth. And not only do we just, we don't just stop lying, but we become people who speak the truth in love. And we don't just uh, stop spreading rumors, we begin to spread the gospel. We begin to spread the truth. Christ turns false witnesses into gospel witnesses. His very last words on earth, before he ascends back to heaven, is that you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Peru, in Moldova, in China, in Iraq, and to the ends of the earth. 
And guess what? 2,000 years later, Jesus didn't lie. Your proof that he turns false witnesses into gospel witnesses. Liars into truth tellers. What a sweet thing to not just be forgiven, but to be changed. And not, be, not just to be changed, but to be appointed to his service. What a privilege given to an enemy. What a savior. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. What else can we say? You have taken all our lies, even the ones we haven't told yet. You've dumped them in the ocean. You bore our wrath. You sent the spirit of truth into our hearts. God, we praise you. You are indeed merciful and gracious and slow to anger how patient you were thank you lord be glorified in your church lord please use this as a means of grace to make us truth tellers lovers of the truth and defenders for your namesake we pray all this in the precious name of jesus christ amen